This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves. Thank you, Lori. As I said to his eminence, as we were waiting to come in, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, if there are any angels in heaven, they're all nurses. We know from our family experience what you do, the courage, and the pain you absorb for others. So thank you. Thank you. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. You just heard Lori Marie Key, a nurse from outside Detroit, sing Amazing Grace. And Joe Biden praised her and other nurses afterwards for their dedication and courage during the COVID-19 pandemic. The song and speech were a part of the National Memorial to Lives Lost to COVID-19 in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday night, the day before Biden's inauguration as President of the United States. Will Biden's empathy make a difference? How quickly can he and Kamala Harris get our country on the right track in its response to COVID-19? Can they get the vaccine out more quickly and in a more organized fashion? George Rutherford, an infectious disease doctor with UCSF, joins me to answer these questions. Dr. George Rutherford, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Nice to see you. So um, as we're speaking on Tuesday evening, there was just a memorial service for people who have died of COVID in Washington, D.C., and President-elect Joe Biden made some emotional remarks about how much he has appreciated nurses, um, their courage and dedication over the past year. He got um, a little emotional talking about how he's appreciated nurses ever since losing his own family members in a car crash decades ago. And we've never heard these kinds of remarks from President Trump. Um, was just wondering, whatever your politics, do you think empathy and caring and these kinds of emotions from the White House will make a difference in our ongoing battle against COVID nineteen? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it make a huge difference. I mean, you know, people are, um, you know, people have been working at this since uh, February and March. Or, uh, you know, it, it's tough to go to work every day. It's tough to get up and do the same thing over and over and over again, and especially if you're at personal risk. So, I think. Hearing, um, hearing the president-elect and the vice president-elect talk to you directly about your contributions are huge. Those are huge, and they, you know, and you know, the, the, we need to deal with the morale of the whole country. But the morale of the workforce is hugely important. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally down with it. In talking to your colleagues, do you feel that they've been sort of ignored from the White House over the past months? Do they feel that there's just not that appreciation? D- Defined sort of. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think they, they you know, uh, yeah, the vice president's done a pretty good job, but, it, you know, really it's not, we're just not seeing it, just not feeling it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's been the, the president has been on a very different tack um, and not, uh, and not directly engaged with COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that it's, you know, it, that's, been very problematic, and hopefully things are going to turn around tomorrow. 
And Kamala Harris also spoke at the memorial service. We're going to pause for a minute to let listeners hear what she had to say. And for many months, we have grieved by ourselves. Tonight, we grieve and begin healing together. And Dr. Rutherford, how do you respond to her comments? I think a lot of Americans have felt isolated and that politicians just weren't understanding what they're going through. Do you think, again, that those kinds of words will make a difference? Yes, I think they're huge. I think that makes a huge, huge difference. I think it not only makes a difference for, you know, healthcare workers, it makes a difference for the whole country who've Mm -hmm. had to, you know, basically suck this up in silence. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we need to be, you know, this is a time for healing. It's a time for bringing people together. It's a time for acknowledging what's happened. You know, Mm -hmm. 400,000 dead is Mm-hmm. You know, that's more than World War II. Yeah. And um, thousands are dying still every day. Yeah. And so Biden, of course, is sworn in um, Wednesday, 9 a.m. Pacific time. How quickly can we expect anything to change? Will things be different by, say, 5 p.m.? I'm hoping you'll say yes. <laughs> but um, realistically, how quickly can we kind of begin to write this ship? I think they'll start the, I think they'll start on day one. Um, I mean, everybody's poised to, to move. And to make it happen, I don't think the outgoing administration has done them any, you know, any particularly large favors. Uh, so they're going to have to get all this stuff figured out and figured out quickly. And but I think we're, I mean, I've seen some of the plans. I think they're, uh, they are, they are sage. They are carefully, they're careful. They're uh, smart, uh, and they address the things that need to be addressed, like you know, understanding how much vaccine we have and how fast we can produce mm-hmm. it. Uh, what concretely do you expect to change quickly? I think that you know we'll see a, a stimulus package. I think we'll see federal support for vaccination. Now those those are spending bills, so they'll have to get through the uh, through the Congress. But uh, uh, you know we can always federalize uh, some of the response and and invoke national guards and and even regular uh, regular military to help or other federal assets to help with uh, vaccinations and not necessarily keep putting vaccines into arms, but just in terms of setting up large sites, crowd control, paper keeping, you know, all those kinds of things, uh, making appointments, all that sort of stuff is really hugely important. Mm-hmm. Just to give a shout out in San Francisco, one of the real uh, uh, bulwarks of our whole contact tracing system have been the city librarians uh, mm-hmm. who've, been, yeah. who've been able to, you know, kind of, you know, they're, they're excellent with people and they're, you know, they're great with computers and they've been terrific. You know, to the extent that there are people like that in the federal government who could come to help too, great. Do you think we should be deputizing librarians and other folks to actually get the vaccines in arms? Because I know healthcare workers are swamped taking care of patients. I, you know, I, I think it's not so. It's not difficult to give vaccines. Uh, it's difficult to deal with the anaphylactic reactions. So mm-hmm. I think we need to be a little careful about how much we farm. Uh, we farm this out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm. Um, I, I think that, but there's so many pieces of this that don't involve putting needles in arms. Mm-hmm. The logistics piece can be taken yeah, by somebody yeah, else. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, just the shepherding around piece. Yeah. Right. And a lot of non-Trump supporters are allowing themselves to feel a strange feeling a lot of us haven't felt in a long time, which is optimism. Um, do you think that's justified? Are you feeling a lot more optimistic than you were a couple of months ago? Well, I'm always optimistic. So <laughs> you seem like an optimistic guy. <laughs> glass half full and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're over the, I think we're kind of just going past the, t- the peak of the surge, the current surge. Mm-hmm. We have vaccinations, um, um, coming out even in heavily impacted areas of Los Angeles, 
We're starting to see drops in transmission. I think those mm-hmm. are all, you know, we're seeing fewer hospitalizations in California. I think those are all favorable signs. And it's, you know, it's huge. Um, and, and this is going to be, it really is coincident with, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's just happenstance that it's this way. But it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think you have to be optimistic. And Biden led the response to H1N1. Are you very familiar with with how that went and what he may have learned from that pandemic? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, I am. I, yeah, I, I think that that's you know that's helpful to have gone down the gone down the path before. Now, you know, influenza is a different uh, different disease. Uh, it heavily infects children. Uh, children are huge spreaders of influenza, unlike this disease, at least to the extent that we understand it. Um, and so it's been, but it also kind of came and went fairly quickly, and we were able to get vaccine out, get vaccine production going, and and get a substantial part of the uh, of the population vaccinated. So yeah, I think it's helpful for him um, to have been down this road before. And it seems like he will follow the lead of other countries, which have actually looked at data and science and um, crafting their response. What do you think we can learn from the experience of other countries of, as they've gone through? this. Some did better than others, but. Yeah. There, there, are things, there are things to not learn, like in Sweden. Exactly. I mean, I I've, I look to France that really tried, you know, I mean, yeah, all the Asian countries, obviously. Um, China, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Singapore. Those are all, Vietnam, those are all exemplars for how to do this stuff. I, I If we look to the European countries, um, which may have sort of laws kind of closer to ours and can and it can uh, control the population sort of at the level we can. I think the French have had a really good, exp- you know, the French have been able to deal with this in a pretty straightforward uh, way and to move to more draconian measures when it's time to move to more draconian measures. They've also protected their schools. Um, mm-hmm. There's a wonderful picture in the New York Times from the summer of the of middle schoolers at the Claude Debussy, you know, mm-hmm. Collège Claude Deb- Debussy, you know, Supposed to the Steve Garvey Middle School, like we have. <laughs> it's um, you know, if you hear kind of Claire de Claire de Lune in the background, but they've managed to keep the kids in school, which I think is you know, I think is is, is something that we can uh, we should be trying to do more of. Mm-hmm. Um, San Francisco public schools are still closed, as are a lot of public schools in the East Bay. Um, do you think that's a mistake? Even as we go through this surge, should they have been open? No, I don't think it's a mistake in the midst of this surge. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's you got to be pretty brave to be opening schools right now. Let's let this thing drop down, and then we can get the schools open. Mm-hmm. Would you like to see them open, say in February or March? Or it depends on what it depends on what the levels are. You know, the governor said if you can get below twenty eight cases per hundred thousand per day, you can petition to open schools, and it may even be a, a little high still, but as we start to come down, we're at almost a hundred thousand, a hundred cases per hundred thousand per day in California. Mm-hmm. It was we come start to come down, you know, to, to three quarters, you know, uh, uh, four fifths of that level, or you know, a quarter or a fifth of that level. I mean, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, down into the kind of twenty cases per hundred thousand, or even better, seven cases per hundred thousand, which is the purple to red transition. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we can start moving to to open the schools. And and interestingly. Someone, no one's brought this up, but the Moderna, I'm sorry, the Pfizer vaccine is actually licensed for 16 and 17 year olds as well mm-hmm. as 18 year olds. And, and I wonder whether we should be making a push for vaccinating um, adolescents right now so mm-hmm. we can get them into high school. Yeah, because most people assume high school opening is quite far off compared to elementary, but 
could be different if we went that way. Yeah, well, unless you're 15 years old and you're hosed, but you know. (laughs) We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And I was wondering what you know about Dr. Rochelle Walensky, Biden's Center for Disease Control appointment. A real pro. Yeah, Mm -hmm. excellent, excellent choice. Excellent choice. Mm -hmm. And do you think his goal of 100 million vaccinated in 100 days is realistic? Or is it one of those things that politicians throw out that they never actually achieve? I think it's modest, actually. Oh, really? I think it's almost a gimme. Wow, that's good news. Why do you say that? Well, I mean, right now, I mean, in California, we're vaccinating sort of the level of 100,000 per day with one hand tied behind our back. So I I think, you know, we can really push that number up uh, and to get you know, a million people vaccinated a day would mean 150,000 a day in California if everybody does about what we do. I think that's very achievable. And I think we can go beyond that, especially if we get these larger vaccination centers set up. Because mm-hmm. California is actually almost at the bottom for the percentage of vaccines it's actually gotten into arms that it's received. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what those statistics mean. You know, you know, I know what they mean, but the whether everybody got the same denominator on a per capita basis, we don't, I don't know. The way it got allocated with the big with the big health plans, perfectly reasonable way to do it. It's sort of hard to keep track of. Mm-hmm. What do you think the federal government can do to improve the vaccination situation in the state? Because I'm hearing from readers, you know, every day that they're so frustrated trying to sign up their parents. Or um, I, I think that uh, first of all, we need a reliable sl- supply of vaccine. And, and, you know, give um, uh, Secretary Azar and the and the administration credit. They got the vaccines made. They they made the investment. They didn't just turn this over to the private sector and say, you know, we'll buy it if you make it. You know, they went out and supported it, and they supported a parallel process for having enough uh, syringes and PP and all that stuff. I, I think that though that um, uh, it's a little unclear, unclear how much vaccine there is. What the Actually, how much is coming off the lines on any given day? I, I don't know it. I, I don't see it written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think them having their hands on those data and being able to really advise the states. So San Francisco, for instance, got 1,700 doses. Mm-hmm. And what are they supposed to do with 1,700 doses? Right. You know, you're getting a start in vaccinating a bunch more people. You know, it, it's, it's, you know it's, it's better than nothing, but it's <laughs> sort of hard to have kind of large-scale vaccination when you have 1,700 doses. Yeah. As one person told me, you could fit those in the trunk of a Honda Civic. Not very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, but you could take them to places where there's high levels of transmission. That's true. Uh, when do you think we'll begin to obtain herd immunity and start to see our lives go back to normal? We're going to, you know, attaining herd immunity is a gradual process and you see benefits from it all along the way. And and it's the difference between what the I'm sorry not to get too mathy here, but That's the basic okay. the basic reproductive number R sub zero, yeah. and the effective reproductive number, which takes into account what proportion of the population is immune. 
So when you see this start to turn down in Los Angeles where they've had a million cases, right? Mm-hmm. Figure there are probably 2 million people infected, probably double it to get to the right number of people infected. Out of 11 million, there are like 18% of people who've been infected, right? And you start to add vaccine on top of that, then you're up kind of in the 20%-ish range of people who've been, who are at least for now immune. You're going to start seeing that, um, seeing the R sub B start to accelerate. And you're going to see dry, I think you're just going to see an acceleration in, 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 um, in the drop in cases, which leads mm-hmm. to drops in hospitalizations, which leads to drops in ICU admissions, which leads to drops in, um, in mortality. And so for people eager to get their lives back, what's the timeline? Uh, I would say August, 30, August 37th. You know. <laughs> it's sometime this summer. It's late, late summer, I'd say. My, my goal is to go to the Olympics in, in Tokyo. Do you think that'll actually happen? Oh, yeah, it'll happen. Oh, cool. I like your optimism. We should have you on more often. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode has been super depressing. Um, and have you personally been vaccinated? It's my card. Oh, nice. Yeah, I want I got, one of those. <laughs> yeah, I got vaccinated. I got the first dose the other day. I'm over 60. I'm over 65 despite my youthful experience. <laughs> you have an appointment for your second dose? Yeah. Yeah, they, they make it on the spot. Mm-hmm. And what was it like? Any any side effects? My, my, my well, The third time my wife hit my arm, it sort of hurt. <laughs> and then the next day I didn't play tennis very well. So, you know, I, I, I just blame rack, it on that. I rack it all up to vaccination, but, you know. No, not really. <laughs> Great. Well, you survived our serious questions, and if you'll- Oh, those were the serious um, questions? Okay. Yeah. If you bear with us, we have a, a lightning round. Okay. Fire away. I know you're an East Bay guy, so you can answer um, East Bay or San Francisco. Yeah. Where's your favorite place in the Bay Area to get a burrito? <sighs> burrito, burrito, burrito. You know, I have this real penchant for Korean tofu burritos, and I get them at that, uh, at that park on 4th that the- uh, uh, you know where they have the the uh, uh, the wagons on uh, Fourth mm-hmm. Street. It's just north. It's just north of UCSF oh, I know campus. What you mean. Yeah, yeah, by yeah. the little golf course. Yeah, golf. yeah, the little mini golf course there. Yeah. What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? <sighs> Probably the Maltese Falcon, but you, you can tell me it wasn't filmed in San Francisco. Oh, that's okay. That's a good one. Uh, where's your favorite place to get a stiff drink? Oh well, I have a favorite haunt over here on the East Bay, mm-hmm. Wood Tavern on College Avenue. Oh, nice. What was the last book you read? Oh, I, I have a uh, a guy I play tennis with who's the uh, who's a priest, and he gave me. I was a, I have a master's degree in medieval history. He gave me one of the Brother Cadfill mysteries, mm-hmm. and I just finished reading Thank that. You. Sort of esoterica, you know, the Welsh and the English not liking each other. What a surprise! You know. <laughs> what was your first concert? Uh, somebody asked me the Spirit, nineteen sixty eight, probably sixty seven, sixty eight. What's your favorite depiction of a doctor in the movies or on TV? Oh, well, it has to be in MASH, you know? Yeah, classic. That, that, was, that was a big influence on me and, and you know, snarky behavior in residency. <laughs> What's a myth about doctors or nurses that you would like to debunk? Uh, a myth, a myth, a myth, a myth, a myth. You know, I, I think that people, well, I... I was quite actually quite offended uh, when the president was talking about how you could get maybe you could bill more if somebody had COVID nineteen, and I think that at least in a certain segment of society, uh, doctors are viewed as money grubbing, and I, mm. I think that's quite unfair. Definitely. What are you most looking forward to about the pandemic ending? What is something you really want to do that you're not allowed to do now? 
uh, go out to dinner with my wife. Mm-hmm. And last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, nothing. I mean, it's, this is, it's all I do is this. Um, it, it's, you know, yeah, you know, uh, you play tennis. I play tennis about twice a week, but that's, okay. that's, that's hardly a daily avocation. I go outside a little bit, walk around outside. Just remember what there's an outside that to this, <laughs> but I, I really honestly work 18 hours a day. It's, it's, oh my gosh. It's, wow. it's brutal. Brutal. That is brutal. Well, I appreciate you making time for me. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's a real pleasure. For more on the inauguration and what to expect from a Joe Biden administration, check out today's episode of the Chronicles It's All Political podcast. Joe Garofoli talks to the presidential scholar Elaine Kamark. She's the author of many books, including Why Presidents Fail. And she has a lot to say about Donald Trump. Thank you to George Rutherford for joining me today to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.